What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. This is your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. And today, we're going to look at why elite organizations and teams need to be centered around empathy. You can deliver tough truths while being kind, and ignoring these truths is what leads to dysfunction. These are just a few of the things that Tammy Triolo talks about when when the discussion is focused on building high-performance teams. And let me give you a little bit of background about Tammy. She's the CEO of PCU Consulting, a boutique agency specializing in company culture and DEI. She's a dynamic speaker and collaborator. She's also a podcaster. She has a master class. She spent most of her career in healthcare. It was in this industry where she honed her skills to create an amazing company culture for her nurses so that they could be amazing nurses for their patients. She has over 15 years of managerial and executive experience, and she's got the ability to mix speaking tough truths with empathy. And that's been at the heart of her business that she's been building, and it's helped her set herself apart in her career and in the industry. Tammy Triolo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jim. I'm happy to be here. This is one of those sessions where we could probably go for three hours. We actually got <laughs> like lives and things to do. Plus, given your prolific TikTok presence, I think there's a lot of stuff that you have going on there. But before we dive into the big chunk of the conversation, I'd like mm-hmm. you to share with the audience some of the things that you feel is important for them to recognize and realize about your career trajectory and your philosophy that's going to inform this conversation. I think especially working um, in the space that I work in, which is company culture and DEI, that it is vitally important that we do not underestimate the role that empathy plays in making sure that diversity, equity, and inclusion is actually achieved in organizations. Um, I think a lot of organizations and companies view diversity as a task to be checked off and not as ongoing work that needs to be done and maintained. So a lot of companies just do the easy part of diversity, which is we get a lot of diverse bodies, we, we check all the boxes, but we don't maintain the space and the culture for those diverse bodies in those spaces. So I think I, I want the audience to understand how vitally important empathy is to this work. E- even in that explanation, I appreciate you sharing that there's a couple things that stand out that I want to highlight. I've talked to and had John Graham on the show before, and he often mentions that executives in organizations sometimes take the wrong approach when it comes to their talent strategy, and especially their diversity strategy, because their automatic response is let's solve it by talent acquisition without having the infrastructure in place to make mm-hmm. sure that talent you're bringing in thrives. Mm-hmm. He refers to it as you, you can't be bringing bodies into a burning building. It's not going to serve mm-hmm. yourself well. So I'd like you to share a little bit more about how you integrate empathy into a talent strategy that's centered on DEI. Tell us a a little bit about how you've coached and helped other organizations embed DEI as part of their overall talent strategy. 
I, I think that uh, analogy is a really good one, bringing bodies into a burning building. And I think one of the reasons why diversity, equity, and inclusion hasn't done well for as long as it's, it's been around is because the people who are in charge of doing this for us don't have empathy for the people they're bringing in. So if you don't care about those people, if you can't imagine yourself in those people's shoes, if you can't feel for them in any real way, then you won't make substantial changes in that building to make sure it's not on fire right before they come in the building because you don't care about them in the way that you care about yourself. And so when you do diversity from that place, or you do talent management from that place where we just want bodies in the building, but we don't really care what happens to these bodies when they get in the building. We see that the lack of empathy is why that takes place over and over again. When Vonda and I started Unleash Empathy um, as a response, it was a response to the mentorship that we were doing with people around anti-racism. And one thing we, we spotted right away was the thing that was keeping people from actually doing meaningful change is that they didn't have empathy for the people that they were bringing into the spaces with them. They couldn't see themselves in these people's lives. They couldn't see themselves in these people's lived experiences. They couldn't see themselves in these people's career trajectory. They couldn't see themselves. And so if you can't see yourself as a part of the greater consciousness of humanity, then you're not going to care for the person that you're bringing in. You're just going to do what you need to do to check the box to say you've done what you've done for what you needed to do for a company. And we see that empathy definitely is the strategy to get talent that you really want. And, and you're going to get the best talent, right? So most people who are good talent want to work for good companies and good organization. And part of being a good company is being a good leader. And so we know that most company culture happen at the mid-management level. So if your managers don't see themselves in you at all, if they can't recognize, if they cannot connect to anything in you, they're not going to care for you. I, I like everything about what you just said. And I think it took me back to some of the things that I experienced when I was coming up through my career is that you have volumes of what I call mm -hmm. corporate jargon that's thrown out there yes. and managers who don't, everybody talks about from a leadership perspective, the one of the fundamental lessons of leadership is to meet people who where they are. But if you have whole groups of managers that operate by jargon and don't really break it down to those folks who are on their team who aren't used to being in that corporate culture, don't have right, right, a right. wide network of executives or senior leaders who are in corporate spaces that have coached them along. There's a lot of people that don't take the time to break it down at that level. And that's exactly. where the empathy comes in is, yes, yes. is being able to break it down that way. So I appreciate how you've put, put a, a highlight around that concept. I want you to think about the things that you're doing right now and the things that you've accomplished throughout your career. When you think about the accomplishment that you're most proud of, what mm -hmm. would that be? I think my proudest accomplishment thus far, especially in, in this business that I've been doing for the past three and a half years, is when I'm in a training or I'm in a roundtable discussion with leaders and managers, and I actually can see the light bulb go off. Like I, I can see the moment, like you can, you can tell the moment where something penetrates and something goes through. And when you leave that training, that those managers come back around and say, of all the trainings I've ever been in, I've never been in a training that's impacted me so much. I recently did um, some trainings for um, the EEOC. And at the time, I didn't know one of the chief deputies of the pension plan for the federal government was in that training. 
And I got an email from her saying, I would love for you to come in and do some training for my agency. At the time, I didn't know who was in the meeting, in those trainings that the employees just came. And she said, I have been thinking about what you said in that training for the past two years. In fact, I still use a lot of what you said in that training and how I do my work today. And that for me was like one of the most proudest moments of my career because I do this work from a complete place of love and passion, right? And I'm honest about how I talk about these tough conversations, race, gender, sexuality, all the things around diversity, equity, and inclusion. We can skate around these conversations because we know how uncomfortable they make people feel. But what I'm most proud of is that I'm always honest with myself and true to myself in the conversations and that I don't water it down to make people feel comfortable. I just do the work. One of the things that that struck me about what you just mentioned was that light bulb moment. And it got me thinking about the readiness that people need to be at or the space that they need to be at from deconstructing some of their preconceived notions to even attend a training that you might offer. I'm sure there is a lot of people that are listening to our conversation. They might be at a stage from an organizational perspective where they look at DEI as a check the box exercise. How do you move from that? I make them state their intention for DEI. That's how you do it. What is your intention here? Why why do you want diverse bodies in your spaces? What is the intention? And making people state their intentions makes them look at why am I really pursuing this work? Why am I really wanting more diverse bodies in the place? What state your intention for this? And I think when people get clear about their intention, they can then decide whether or not they're, they're pursuing DEI for the right intention. Because if your intention is just to check boxes, the only people hurt by that are the people that you're bringing in to check those boxes. So one of the things that I work with my clients is we start with, what is the intention here? Make them state the intention for why they're wanting to do diversity, equity, inclusion. And outside of like governmental agencies where um, you have mandated that quotas that you have to do. And to some degree, even in corporate um, settings, if you're getting any federal funding, you have to have certain numbers. But outside of that, right, because a lot of companies have, they, they do what they need to do to meet those thresholds and goals. And then anything above that is intentional work. So if the work is intentional, state your intention for the work. The, the simplicity of what you said is something that oftentimes a lot of folks miss. And I made a point about this earlier today, where I was talking about any initiative that you're trying to accomplish, don't get distracted by the shiny thing that's like the Hail Mary aspect of it. Your success or failure is going to be tied to the simple concepts executed at a high level. And your point about stating your intention, asking the question, what are you trying to accomplish is such a powerful question that's come up before that I think I I really appreciate you bringing that out. Switching gears a little bit. So when you look at all the stuff that you have going on, And some of the things that you want to accomplish as a a leader in this space, what's the thing that's on your radar that you want to get done for next year that's going to have a massive impact on the work that you're doing? So my moonshot for 2024, right now I am engaged in conversations for with healthcare, a healthcare organization with about 15,000 employees, and they've made a a commitment to anti-racism. And the moonshot is to be a part of truly being the catalyst for anti-racism for the hospital employees that work there, as well as the patients, especially because we know the disparity um, in medical outcomes for Black people, specifically Black bodies, more specifically Black women, um, especially in the area of childbirth. And so my moonshot is to be an integral part 
of bringing anti-racism in a real and tangible way, not in a way that a company could just put it on their website. We are an anti-racist hospital. We're an anti-racist organization. But when people go to that hospital and read that statement, that the impact is actually felt, not just from the employee perspective, but the patient perspective, that when they go into that hospital, they feel and see the notable change that's happened there. And so that's my moonshot for 2024, being a part of that organization, truly moving into being an anti-racist one. That's really important. When you think about the most fun aspect of the role that you're in, tell us a little bit about what gives you the most joy in the work that you do. I think the most fun aspect is when we move clients from the structured work of either classes or consultancy into mentorship where people get to be a little bit more relaxed. They get to be a little bit more honest. They get to be a little bit more playful in those mentorship discussions. So I think that's the most fun for me is that I I start to engage with people in a real way. And not that they're not being real and honest when we're doing the actual consultancy and work, but it's very structured. It's very, we know what we're working on. And when you get into mentorship with people, you get to really see them. You get to experience the vulnerability of them and why the work that they're doing is impactful for them. So I think the most fun is when we move from the consultancy or classroom into one-on-one mentorships, and I get to be with those people one-on-one. That's the most fun for me. When I opened the show, I, I noted that when you think about how elite organizations and teams are built, they're centered around empathy, they have a capacity to deliver tough fruits while being kind, and it's by ignoring those lessons you get into dysfunction. It seems pretty straightforward, but people mess it up a lot. When Mm -hmm. you think about those game-changing realizations that helped you build great teams, how is that related to what I opened the show with? For me, I, I think once I understood that being nice was not the same as being kind, it was a game changer. And so a lot of organizations, a lot of leaders want everybody just to be nice to one another. But if you've been following me for a long time, you know that I tell you that nice is fake. It's not real. There's nothing genuine about it. And kindness requires courage because kindness requires you to have the courage to tell people the truth because the truth is kind, right? How we deliver that truth can also be kind. But at the end of the day, the truth is kind. And so I think for me, understanding the difference between being nice and being kind was revolutionary for me. And then I stopped showing up in the world as a nice person and started moving through my life as a kind person. And what that's done for people who interact with me is be kind to themselves and then kind to people around them because they understand they don't have to pretend to be nice. They can just be kind. And I think when you're interacting with people and you're dealing with people, the kindest thing you can do for people is to be honest with them and tell them the truth. But you mentioned something in there that I'd like you to expand on. And Mm -hmm. it's the whole concept of delivery. I'd like to draw a distinction between what Mm -hmm. nice looks like and what kindness looks like, but especially tie it into how you deliver the message Mm -hmm. so that you're actually serving the person that's receiving it in a way that helps them advance. So nice is moving around the conversation or skirting around what the issue is in a way not to hurt the other person's feelings. And it's a lot of why people are nice, right? Like you don't want to hurt the other person's feelings. And so you will omit things you need to say because you don't want to hurt the person's feelings. You won't say it directly because you don't want to hurt the person's feelings. Now, kindness is whenever I'm delivering a message with kindness, I move myself back into a space of empathy. And I say to myself, 
if somebody was saying this to me, and if, especially if this is the truth that is hard, how would I want them to say this to me? How would I want this delivered for me? And so when I think about, if you had to tell this to yourself, Tammy, or, or somebody sitting across from you, and you have to be kind, but this is a truth that you have to deliver, use that tone that you would want used on you. Use that delivery that you would want used on you. And so I think that's when you think about what the delivery is going to be, just sit with yourself for just a minute and say, if this was a truth, somebody had to tell me, how would I want this truth delivered to me? Right now, I understand that everybody has different levels of the ability to handle some truth. Right. So some people are very direct and straightforward and it's don't be nice. Don't water it down. Just give it to me. Right. And I think part of that going back to leaders, I think good leaders know their people. Good leaders are intentional in knowing how they can communicate to their people. So a, a, a team member like myself, who's very direct, kind for me is just going to be that you tell me the truth and the delivery of it is not going to be as important to me. But I may have another team member where kindness is necessary, but delivery is definitely going to matter to her or definitely going to matter to him. So good leaders should know who they have on their team and how they need to communicate to those people. So if you have somebody on your team where the delivery is going to matter, just sit with yourself for about 30 seconds and say, this is a hard truth, and how would I want this delivered to me? And then deliver in that tone, deliver in that manner to the person you're sharing that truth with. Wow, it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community. Get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR impact. And now back to the show. Your point about sitting with it for 30 seconds or a minute or whatever to process how you want it delivered is a really important call out. And the line that I want to draw is when you look at gaps in an organization, you referenced it earlier in, in the conversation. Most of the change that you're trying to impact in an organization is actually driven by those managers and leaders in the middle. Mm -hmm. And what you and I have both seen is that, especially in new managers, they often struggle with how the message should be delivered. They struggle with how to deliver it kindly. They're often defaulting into being nice. If you're speaking to that new manager and you want to set themselves up for success so that they can do these things, aside from taking a moment to think about how they would want that message delivered, what are some of the other things that they should be doing so that they could build that capacity to deliver direct messages with empathy and make sure that they're being kind in the process? One of the things I tell leaders all the time is that one-on-ones with your team is vital. And a lot of managers don't do this. And I get it. Like the, the bustle of work gets busy, but it is critical. It is critical. I don't care if you spend 15 minutes with a team member every day, but it's critical that you do those one-on-ones because what those one-on-ones are going to, to tell you, even if you're talking about the team one yesterday, it's going to tell you a little bit about how this team member communicates, how they like talking about issues, how they respond to issues. So one of the things for managers is, is not just learning how to sit with yourself, but learning to sit with your team members. So you have a beat on how they like to be communicated, 
how you should communicate it to this team member, how you should be having these conversations. And I think all new managers need to start there. Start with one-on-ones with your team members, get to learn them, get to learn their communication style, get to learn the body language of people that come into a room. When I was a director for a pharmacy, I used to have employees come in and they would say, stop looking at my body, Tammy. Because I was so keenly aware to what their body was doing, even if they're phasing else. So if I was saying something and their body was closed off, if they were sitting like this or their legs was crossed and their arm was crossed, what I understood from that body language is they were closed off to the message. And so I would just talk to them about something else until I could see their bodies relax and open up to that conversation. And I think the only way you get there is spending time with your team members. So when you do have to to do hard truths and you do have to deliver it kindly, you have a beat on who the person is that you're talking to so you can deliver those messages kindly. There's a really strong hidden lesson in what you just said. You're talking about observation. If we're trying to solve the, the, the problem of new managers not being effective in terms of communicating the way mm-hmm. that they need to, what ha- why does that happen? A lot of times it happens because you're in this new leadership role. As soon as something pops up, you as the new manager feel like you need to prove yourself. So you dive into the work. So rather than diving into the work and doing it for the people that are around you, if you take a beat and you take the time to spend more of your effort in learning about that individual and what's going on and the feedback that they're giving you, you're actually going to be better equipped for that relationship and actually jumping into the work. So that was the take, the hidden takeaway that I pulled out of what you said. I want to play a devil's advocate a little bit and, and pull on this a little bit more. And I think your experience from being a leader within the nursing space is going to be relevant. A lot of people that are going to be hearing what you said, taking the time to listen, taking the time to see what's going on and be with your people and do one-on-ones. Yeah, that's great, but I'm in a super busy environment. I don't have time for any of that stuff. You came out of the healthcare space and specifically the nursing world. What were the things that you did in that high pace environment to create that time that positioned you to build these great teams? I was working with a hospital up in North Florida, and every few months I would have to go up and do like cultural check-in because we had a lot of Indian nurses that we placed in a predominantly white area, right? So you're bringing diversity and all the things that come along with that. And so I would have meetings sometimes with nurse managers while they were walking to the cafeteria, no matter they're busy. Right. So they don't have time to sit down and have a 30 minute meeting with me. But I would walk and talk with them. I would sit at the cafeteria with them. Right. Because I was always engaged. I understood that life was busy. So I just implanted myself in that busyness. Right. So I made it easy for them to still have these very important conversations, but it didn't feel like I was interrupting the flow of their work and the flow of their lives. It takes me back to a lot of times when you see these movies and it's the businessman walking really fast out the building and the secretary or the assistant is walking alongside them and they're still asking the questions and they're still getting... So you can get work done if the intention is to get it done, right? And so sometimes managers are busy. Sometimes leaders are busy. Find ways to fit into their busy that doesn't disrupt them from being busy, but it allows you to get the information you need for your team. So that points to uh, a, a mindset about what you view as your role as your leader. Is Are Correct. you of the mindset that I'm a leader, so I need to control things? Or are you of the mindset that because I'm a leader, my job is to serve? And that's a good illustration of what you just said. Again, the business world is full of all sorts of cliches. Meet people where they are. You just illustrated how you meet your team where they are versus having them meet you on your terms. So I really like how you drew that out. So for those folks that are 
leading teams in high volume environments, maybe that's what you should look at in terms of how you do that relationship build so you're more successful in building those relationships. Tammy, really great stuff. And I think we've built a lot of context. And I especially like the fact that we just we just spelled out how you do this in a high pace environment. And we've actually built some structure around some of the common business cliches and how you actually execute it. So this is really good. I want to shift the topic a little bit. There'll be people that want to do this at various levels of development in their organization. There'll be people that want to start the work of building a more empathetic leadership style, delivering messaging with kindness. What are the things that they need need to be looking out for that could be dangerous when they try to execute this? I think one of the big red flags that they should be um, looking out for is how engaged their people are. We say this a lot. There's a lot of people working, but there's a lot of people disengaged in the work. And I think pay attention to the people that are uh, truly engaged in the work. And you can get that from a five-minute conversation about how engaged um, employees are, how engaged leaders are. Pay attention to the employees that used to be the ones who were always coming to you with ideas and workarounds, and all of a sudden they got really quiet. People get quiet when they feel like all of their attempts at bringing forth good ideas have been shot down. So pay attention to how, and most importantly, pay attention to your environment. One of the things that we, that I teach, particularly in the Unleash Empathy um, space, is that Pay attention to your environment. An environment can go from neutral to hostile to friendly pretty quickly. And a lot of leaders don't pay attention to the environments that they're in and the environments that their people are in. And being very aware of when you walk into the meeting, what's happening in that environment. When you walk onto the floor with your employees, what is the energy? What is the, what does the space feel like to you? That's critically important. So those are the, the red flags, I would say. If you are pay attention to the employees who are no longer engaged and pay, pay attention to the employees who got really quiet and pay attention to the environment that you, your team is sitting in, pay real close attention. I want to expand a little bit on what you just mentioned, and especially the point about pay attention to folks that were the idea factory and all of a sudden they've gone quiet. How do you productively confront that in a way that allows you to understand what's going on. One of the things that you can do, and one of the things that I found helpful in that discussion was I had an an employee that was like, every day she had a a bright idea. Sometimes it was like some things you're like, girl, what? Right? And so she would come in all the time. And after a while, because I had gotten really busy in the director role, so I wasn't always as accessible. And so I noticed that she wasn't coming in with these bright ideas anymore. And and some of it was not so much about whether or not the department can change. I think for her, it was a point of connection with me as her leader and wanting to know where she was. And so one of the things that I, I noticed that she'd stopped doing that. And so one day I just invited her to lunch outside of the building, not in the building. I just took her to lunch and I said, I know I've been really busy and I've noticed that you've gotten really quiet. I miss these wild ideas and you stopped giving them to me. What's going on? And it was just taking her out of the environment of work, sitting across from her, asking in a very playful way, one that didn't feel like my manager's asking me something. It was just two people having lunch saying, why'd you stop talking so much? What happened? And it allowed me to have conversations with her and what was happening with her life and where she thought her career trajectory was in my department. And it allowed me to have that really honest conversation. And a lot of why she'd stopped talking had very little to do with me, but where she thought 
because your employees have a vision of where they think they can go in your organization, especially if you as the leader are not filling the gap and helping them create that vision, right? And so she was creating a vision for where she thought she could go. And once she decided there was no place for her to grow, she just stopped offering ideas. And so it allowed me to reset that state what was possible in the department for her, and it allowed her to come back to the table with ideas. I especially like how you framed it at the end about setting the conversation. And I think that has broad application regardless of where you are, yeah. whether you're a leader or you're an employee, you should be in a regular habit of resetting your resetting, eyesight always. so that you're looking at the place as if this is your first day there. So as a people leader, if you're not regularly resetting and then bringing back some of the early conversations and seeing where it is with each member of your team, you're putting yourself at risk. So great stuff, Tammy. I appreciate you hanging out with us and, and sharing all of this stuff. So before we wind down, we, we've talked about why this is important. We've talked about some of the context behind it. We've gotten even into some of the how, but I want to tie it all together and have you talk us through some of the key things that leaders need to be focused on so that they can execute this. Let's boil it down and, and identify the top three or four things that leaders need to be focused on when they're trying to execute at this level. So I think the top three things I would say that leaders need to be focused on is, number one, I'm, I'm always going to bring it back to empathy, because before you were a leader, you were an employee. And I think if you keep that in mind, if, if you can always be thinking, I got here through this. And so looking at your employees' experience through your own of how you got to leadership, never be so removed from that journey of how you got there that you can't recognize the journey for your employees below you. And this is critical because leaders get to leadership role, and especially if they've been there for a long time, you can often forget the walk to how you got there and not recognize that your employees below you are on that same walk you were once on. And this is why empathy is critical to that. Because if you can keep empathy at the heart of your leadership, then you will be invested in making sure that your team, your other leaders and managers are doing well because you understand you're connected to what that was like for you to get where you are and where people are trying to go. To be frank in discussions. I know this is hard for a lot of people, right? Because we live in a society where we value nice over kind, but frankness is kind, right? And frank doesn't equal rude. I think a lot of times when people say, I'm a frank, I speak frankly, that can translate to you, you're rude when you say you speak frankly. And to me, frank is just being very honest about what is and what isn't. As leaders, sometimes there's things we can share with our teams and there's things we cannot share with our teams, depending on where you sit in leadership in your organization. But even be honest about that. Say to your team, listen, I know that you feel the changes that are happening in the organization, and I'm always going to be honest about how it impacts you. And the things I cannot share with you, I'm going to be honest and tell you I cannot share that with you right now. That level of frankness and honesty goes a long way with leaders and their teams, because what your team will know is that your manager is always looking out for you in ways, even when they can't say the thing that you think they can say, but the fact that they're saying to you, hey, Jim, I know you can, because employees aren't silly. When things are happening in the organization, everybody feels it. And what makes that harder is when people become quiet and secretive about the change as if the employees don't feel what's happening around them. And so being the kind of leader that says, I know you see, I know you see the 
there's a lot of meetings behind closed doors. I know you can feel the atmosphere shifted in here. I will share with you what I can't and the things that I can't share. I will always be honest with you and very frank in saying we are having discussions. I cannot share it right now, but the things that are impact, the things that may impact you as an individual or our department, I will share those when I can. Just being frank. Just your takeaways could have been a show on its own. So great stuff, Tammy. I know you're everywhere. If anybody wants to continue the conversation with you and dig deeper, where can they find you? So I am um, pretty um, active on LinkedIn. Tammy Triolo, PCQ Consulting. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am also pretty active on TikTok, which I didn't even expect that. I, I started TikTok doing fashion and did one commentary and the algorithm said, you need to keep talking. And so my username on TikTok is not going to relate to anything to my work, but you can find me on TikTok as my style file. LinkedIn and TikTok is probably the two places that you're going to find me being very active for my voice and my work. I would, I would encourage everybody listening to go find Tammy on both platforms. I'm constantly learning stuff at least five or six times a day, just consuming <laughs> the stuff that she puts out. So she's awesome. Why am I talking as if you're not sitting right there? You're awesome. <laughs> so Tammy, I really appreciate you hanging out with us and you pushed out so much stuff in this conversation. And I think I, I, I'd probably be a crappy host if I didn't highlight the things that impacted me. So when I think about this conversation and I'm putting a pin in what we talked about, here are the three big things that stood out in the conversation. When you're looking at driving any initiative, and especially if you're looking at driving forward any initiative that involves talent strategy and embedding DEI, you need to say out loud and ask out loud what the intent is of that initiative. Unless you're not yes. clear on that intent, you're going to run off and do a whole bunch of work that's not going to go anywhere and it's not going to serve your people. So if you're Absolutely. looking at doing any of this work, you need to make sure that you're defining intent. The second thing that stood out in the conversation to me is as a leader, you have to be ruthlessly disciplined about how you're spending your time. And if you're picking between spending time on helping execute the work versus spending time on helping develop your people, pick the yeah. latter because that's your number one priority. And yes. it's not yes. just enough to just spend time in helping to develop your people. You need to do it in a way where you're adopting a servant's mentality and meeting them yes. where they are on yes. their workflow instead of having them come to you. So be disciplined around that. And then the last thing, this came up in the last part of the conversation is be disciplined about regularly resetting what you're doing on a regular basis. If you're not looking at what you're doing, how you're doing it with the perspective of a new hire into the organization, you're letting your team down. So those are things that you need to be able to do on a consistent basis to be effective. So Tammy, gold conversation for those of you who have been listening to the episode, leave us a review, let us know what you thought of it. Tune in next time where we'll bring on another great leader to share with us the game-changing realizations that they had that helped them build a high-performing team. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.